This QuietCast podcast is brought to you by the book, Finding Jesus, a fundamentalist preacher discovers the socio-political and economic teachings of the Gospels by me, Herb Montgomery. This is my story as a successful preacher who unexpectedly encountered the Gospel stories through the interpretive lenses of various marginalized communities. And what I found radically changed my life forever. Finding Jesus by Herb Montgomery is available now on Amazon. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Let's kick the tires and not the fires, Big Daddy. What are you drinking, John? That would be a uh, that would be a very nice uh, bourbon Rita. A bur- what? Yep, a bourbon Rita. It's become one of my new favorites. Okay, all right. I, I don't know why that just looked like a whiskey sour, but um, well, anyway, it's not lemon; it's lime, and it adds uh, a little bit of triple sec. Triple so, sec. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I did not line the top with the salt because you know I am. Because you know, I have. Ew. You know, well, I am old and have high blood pressure and high cholesterol and <laughs> all that shit. So, you know, we got that to deal with, right? Well, stay tuned afterwards for John's and my new podcast. Hey, what you drinking? That's gonna be the that's gonna be the new title of the every, every come in once a week and just be like, so hey, so what you, what you drinking? drinking, man? Uh, I'm having a beer. All right, join us okay. next week for hey, what you drinking? <laughs> I think it's a good idea. But in the meantime, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, my name is Nat. This is my brother John. And he's drinking a bourbon Rita, which I don't know, sounds made up. I don't even know if that's a real thing. Did you? Sounds like a drink of your own invention. Maybe. Uh, this, is, this is the podcast that we have uh, lovingly called This Is Not Church because, hell, if it was church, you'd have left by now. Some of y'all would have left with the opening sentence. Like, yeah, really. Actually, I, I think anybody who might have stayed, we ran off two years ago. So. True, true. <laughs> like, I remember that scene in, uh, in the movie This Is Spinal Tap when they're talking about how they're like they're as the it's like this aging rock group and they're like it's we don't feel that our audience is getting smaller it's just they're become we're becoming more they're becoming more selective <laughs> that's that's completely that's off the, you know they're doing a they're doing a sequel right i know i'm so happy i can't wait i hope it doesn't just totally suck but that being said uh we have an awesome guest as we as we do so let's just get let's get to it. Our guest today is Amber Cantorna Wild. She's a national speaker, coach, and storyteller who supports LGBTQ plus people through their coming out process and educating others on the importance of full inclusion. As someone who lost everything when coming out as gay, Amber is passionate about dissolving shame, fostering self acceptance, and generating messages of hope for LGBTQ plus people and their families, especially those from conservative faith backgrounds. She's the author of Out of Focus, My Story of Sexuality, Shame, and Toxic Evangelicalism, releasing, uh, uh, released October 23rd. I'm sorry, October tw- 2023. <laughs> this is what I get for trying to read too fast, John. Uh, Unashamed, a coming out guide for LGBT- LGBTQ Christians, uh, WJK Press in 2019, and Refocusing My Family from Fortress Press in 2017. She is the founder and host of the Unashamed Love Collective, a beautiful and inclusive membership-based online community for LGBTQ plus people and allies. She also leads cultivating community retreats, small intimate group gatherings that build lasting relationships with like-minded people. And uh, man, that's a lot. And I don't think we've even scratched the surface. So with all of that being said, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. So like John mentioned offline, uh, kind of our opening salvo question for just about everybody because we are ostensibly 
a podcast that deals with faith and faith issues is if you wouldn't mind just kind of expanding a little bit on your on your faith background, kind of your journey, what brought you to to where you are these days? Well, I grew up in the epicenter of uh, evangelical Christianity in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, and that's kind of been where a lot of major Christian ministries have headquartered. But not only that, uh, my dad is the executive producer of Adventures and Odyssey at Focus on the Family. And he started working there when I was three years old. And to my knowledge, he still works there to this day. So he's been a long timer from the very beginning, one of the original creators of Adventures and Odyssey. And so my world was very much steeped in everything evangelical, everything James Dobson, everything Odyssey, uh, everything Christian with very little exposure of any kind to what what we would have referenced as the outside world, (laughs) Um, you know, the, the secular world. So it just was very small. Um, Our belief system was very small. And what we believed about God was very small. And it took took a long time for me to to break out of that and be where I am today and having deconstructed and have a much broader faith view now. And it's definitely been a hard journey, but one I'm super grateful for because it's, I I love the freedom that comes with being able to see outside the box. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I had no idea you had ties to that uh, particular group. I don't have a... uh... A whole lot of positive things to say about no, uh, I, I the don't family know. And James <laughs> Thompson and it's like I, oof. I, I, I was very staunchly evangelical when I was young. I think that's a pretty common story because uh, John and I were raised in pretty conservative evangelical churches, and so Adventures in Odyssey was something I allowed my children to watch when they were mm-hmm. little. You know, is that uh, that and Veggie Tales? We wouldn't let women teach them. Um, but we were fine with tomatoes and talking cucumbers, yes. Um, yes. which seems to make an awful lot of sense. So that was interesting to see that that part of my deconstruction was was looking back on on those things that I exposed my kids to and and going, oh well, shit. <laughs> like, um, daddy apologizes. Like, I'm sorry for making you sit through um, all of that. But that must have been, you know, as we as tell me if this is true because my sense of it is that it's especially difficult for people who are LGBTQ+. plus, I mean, I mean, it's one thing if you sort of fit into the expected mold, which John and I both did in some in most ways. Um, but talk to me about how much more difficult that is with somebody who's struggling with their sexuality or gender identity or something like that. How much more amplified is that situation? Oh my gosh, like, I don't know that I even have words to, you know, like it just, it's such a wildly intense experience, partly because... I didn't have any exposure or language to put with what I was feeling. And feelings weren't really accepted in our home. Like you had to kind of be happy and expected to show up with a smile everywhere you went. So there was no range of emotions to even express confusion or fear or disappointment or anger. Nothing like that. And so I learned to stuff my emotions from a very young age and hide who I was and that just quickly compounded and affected my mental health to where I was dealing with depression and anxiety and then PTSD. And I was self-harming by the time I was a teenager. And it just compounded over time um, because there was nowhere to go and nobody to talk to about what I was feeling. And so it, it really, the, the internalized homophobia that is steeped into you from infancy really has a drastic effect on 
your 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 mental health and your physical health. I mean, I now live with chronic illness, and I think that is in part due to the amount of identity suppression I had growing up and the amount of trauma I've had um, through my coming out. I'd like to back up just a little bit because in reading your story, one of the things I found interesting was that you actually did like voiceover work for Focus on the Family, right? Yeah, in, I, was, the, I was on Odyssey a handful of times, yeah. So how do you reconcile, because Nat and I both were raised in the evangelical church, right? So Nat and I are a little bit older, so we're pre-purity culture. We're like mm-hmm. uh, post purity culture where the ideas were being formed, but the, 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 fra- the, the, the term had not been used yet, mm-hmm. but we were definitely part of that. So you are hip deep up to the, up to, up to your head, almost drowning in the focus on the family, right? Uh, yes. And in purity culture. Right, and, and in purity culture. So, and you talk about self-harm and, you know, you know, we'll do the trigger warnings and all that, uh, of, of this could, you know, what this could do, but your, your, your self-harm started with, um, uh, and I don't remember the, uh, the actual diagnosis of, of like hair pulling, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which then became even more, more dire self-harm cutting, yes. which, uh, um, again, as you were, as you were being raised up in this idea of focus on the family, at what point did you start having questions concerns problems with what they were expecting of you and what you felt inside of who you truly were because i mean nat and i can talk about ourselves i i left the church when i was like 18 years old 19 years old Mm -hmm. with a lot of questions and i thought you know one of my one of my biggest problems was uh that my gay friends were not allowed Mm -hmm. into the church and i and i had been doing theater for a while and i didn't and i worked with a lot of uh, gay people, people within the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and so one of my first questions is like, I don't understand why uh, God doesn't love these people too. I love them. So for you, what was the starting point of like starting to question how you were raised and how you felt inside? Well, I think to a degree in my teen years, I knew that I was, at least I felt like I was in this like Barbie doll world where everybody just wore this plastic smile and pretended that they were happy all the time. Right. And I really craved more than that. I craved authenticity. I craved somewhere where I could feel safe to let down that guard because I not only had the expectation of the evangelical world, but then later on top of that was the expectation of who my family was and what my dad did. Right. Um, And so there was a lot of expectation to um, uphold that family name and to represent the family well and to hold things together. And so I definitely craved that uh, that authenticity fairly young, just looking for that outlet of where I can, where I can bring all of me. Um, but in terms of my sexuality, that really didn't... I didn't start figuring that out until I was in my early 20s. And that I think is largely in part because of how deep I was in purity culture between not having any exposure or vocabulary to put with my feelings, no exposure to the queer community, no exposure to what that looks like, and then being so deeply entrenched in purity culture to the point that we had this big ceremony at my 13th birthday where all my aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents were there. And like, it was a coming-of-age ceremony where I signed a vow of purity and put a purity ring on my wedding finger 
that I wore for a decade, completely committed to this movement that I was going to basically serve God with my life until, you know, one day I was rewarded with my knight in shining armor that came in on a white horse, basically. Yeah. So I never dated. So I never even had that like compass to figure out that I was, I think I knew that I was different in certain ways, but still in a lot of ways blind to my own sexuality uh, until I fell in love with my female roommate uh, in my early 20s. And then that was like my epiphany of horror because it was the one thing you were never supposed to be. And so that felt like a real crisis of identity and a crisis of faith and a, a lot of things because suddenly I was at war within myself choosing between these two things that I felt like I couldn't control. Like I had an ultimatum between my sexuality and my faith. And that was a really hard road to navigate. Um, And the shame that came along with that um, only deepened my, you know, my self-harm and led to suicidal ideations and all those kind of things because the amount of shame that evangelism steeps on you for being gay is in a lot of cases lethal. That is that is something that John and I have sort of beat the drum on for quite a while, I would think, right, John? I mean, this idea that, like, I think for, for both of us starting this podcast, we kind of, we felt the need to address these issues, mostly just from, a, just a, from like, just a, a standpoint of being honest. Like, mm-hmm. these are issues that real people deal with every day. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the, the more we got conversations with people, the more dire the situation became. Like we understood, okay, this is, goes beyond and it's bad enough the psychological harm. It's bad enough the shame. It's bad enough, but there are physical ramifications. We started sharing stories of, of, you know, increased suicide and self-harm. And I'm like, no, there are, I mean, this is more than just some sort of esoteric abstraction that we're dealing with here. We're talking about boots on the ground, lives being impacted negatively. Where the hell is the Christian church on this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why have they chosen ideology over like simple love of neighbor. And it's one of the things that's heartbreaking. It's one of the reasons that I am so distanced currently from the Christian church and Mm -hmm. Christianity in general is because of, it seems to be, seems to me that so so much of that culture is just jaded. Like they're just apathetic, you know, towards the suffering of other people and, and they cannot see past their own their own biases and ideology that somehow gets elevated above, and I'm, so I'm, I'm thankful for people like you who are, who are who are, I guess, leading the charge on some of this stuff. And so, first, that's mostly just a compliment. I'm, I'm thankful that you're there, but also coupled with that as a question is that is that kind of your like the, like the impetus for the work that you do as well? Oh, very much so. Yeah, uh, because when I first started sharing my story, basically, I had somebody that looked at me and was like. Amber, embedded in your identity is a responsibility to be a voice for change. And like that just resonated so deep within me. And so that kind of launched me using my story to create conversations around queer inclusion, especially in faith spaces. But not only that, like I quickly realized like this is not just my story. This is the story of hundreds and thousands of queer people who have grown up in the evangelical movement and are experiencing the same things. And so my work is a lot in part to help queer people feel less isolated in their stories and and to give them tools to help them navigate 
coming out of that evangelical space and, and how to do it well and, and give the, equip them with things that they need. Uh, but then also to raise conversations like this around the critical importance of full inclusion. And and with my most recent book, um, even taking more of a stance in terms of calling out the complacency and the complicity of these institutions that are doing harm to queer people in the name of God, all under this banner of calling it love. Yeah, that's uh, so perplexing. Let me ask you this too, and I'll and I don't mean to dumb. I'll I'll leave some room, John. But um, <laughs> as she, as so often happens, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, this reminds me. So I read today that Pope Francis has given his okay for priests to bless, quote unquote, bless same sex unions, mm-hmm. um, which to me seems like an enormous step. Yeah, I know it's not official. I mean, there's, of course, you know, the, the caveat to that is this doesn't change how we feel about <laughs> about traditional marriage, but. That's not really, I mean, to me, that seems like in general, okay, that's a good step forward. But I saw comments and I wanted to see how you felt about this. I saw comments from people about, well, why would queer people want to be included by institutions who have heretofore uh, marginalized them? And to me, it was like, why don't you just, you know, you know, fight for civil, because, you know, if you, if you view marriage as largely a religious institution, at least in the church's eyes, why don't you just pursue civil unions that offer the same sort of legal protections? And like five years ago, that argument would have made sense to me. And today it just triggered me. I'm like, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Is it, is to, cause to me, it seems like an obvious, of course, why wouldn't they, why would people not want to strive for being, having access to everything that everyone else has access to? But, but I don't know what you, what you thought about that. Well, I think some, in terms of like, why do people stay in the church that has harmed them? Because you kind of see a spectrum of people. You see, you see people that are coming out of that space, but they so desperately still want that space of belonging because there's great power in that. There's power in that community and that familiarity of what they grew up knowing. And that can be very hard to let go of and to leave. Then you have the people that are so wounded that they just repair repel completely against, you know, and never walk inside of a church again. And then you see the people that really want to like reform Christianity, right? To make it inclusive. And they are working to write inclusive worship music and kind of like change this space and reclaim it. And so those are probably the three kind of categories I see. Um, But for the people that stay, I think think a lot of it is like that wanting that familiarity of of what they knew growing up and, and wanting that place of belonging. Because um, that's powerful, and it's it's hard to let that go. Well, I, I could I can even see that right as as someone I, I left the church when I was eighteen or nineteen. I re-entered the church in my late forties, thinking I could I could reconnect with my faith. I definitely can see a reason why you why you'd want to. Mm-hmm. There are I have very fond memories, and you even write in in your book about this having very fond memories of your time. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I know it was GGG, but I don't remember what the, the, the. Oh, the, the Green Gable Girl Club. Yeah. Uh, so you talk about having some very fond memories of that. I'm sure you also have some very negative memories mm-hmm. that if you were to look back and say, okay, this was, this in some ways was harmful. Mm-hmm. But I do, I too look back at, you know, my youth group time as there were some really, really great moments mm-hmm. in that, you know, trips we went on. You know, just being amongst a bunch of people who were like like minded at that time, and we all served a purpose. 
Yeah. You know, looking back at it, I can, I, with hindsight, I can see where there was harm there. Mm-hmm. But I do have fond memories of that. So I can see why people within the LGBTQIA plus community would look at, specifically if they were raised religious, where there were some, probably some, some really good moments that they can look back and say, that's what I want. I want that feeling of family. I want that feeling of connection. I want that feeling of belonging. But now I need to find that in a church that accepts me and who I, as who I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thank God or whoever that there are websites now that will help you find those churches right, right. that are affirming. And so you don't have to waste your time stepping into a church. I, I, I was a member of a church for two years, two or three years that it was a, all, all are welcome, all are loved, right? Until you ask to be part of anything that has to do with leadership. Exactly. You can sit in the, you can sit in the, in the pews and sing along, but God forbid you ask to be part of the worship team. Mm-hmm. God forbid you ask to be, you know, help teach Sunday school. Yep. I mean, yep. And really, God forbid if you ever step, ask to step up in front of the pulpit and preach, because that's never going to happen. Yeah. And that's where the isolation happens, right? So this, like, all are loved, but all are not welcome, is is where most churches sit, right? Yep. I, I I really really love that we are we live in an age where we can by a click of a button on our computer find a church that's that's going to welcome us who we are exactly how we are and we don't have to be nervous about can I say I'm gay can I say I'm bisexual can mm-hmm. I say you know I'm 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 questioning without having to like turn around and run out right well and the reality is that if you're not a part of a church, like for me now, I, I'm not part of a church currently, and I, you know, I don't have kids, and so, so it's like, how do you meet people as an adult, and how do you make friends? Like, you have to find some kind of common interest that brings you together, and for a lot of people, that is church or some kind of faith community. So it's hard to, I think that's what draws a lot of people is that that sense of belonging and familiarity and like commonality that they share, because um, it's it's hard to find that in other places. I'm, I'm a recent, how would you put it? Evacu- evacuee? Yeah, a refugee. Let's <laughs> refugee. call it that. I'm a, re- I'm a recent refugee of the church. I've been in church my whole life, you know, and I am currently amongst the, the unchurched, the duns, as I would call because I am done. I don't, I, I, I really can't envision a scenario where I go back. And my last church was the church I planted and pastored. Mm. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I gave it one more shot. I'm like, okay, fine. If I can actually plant the church and sort of be in charge of it, if that doesn't work, I don't know what else will. You know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, my mistake for planting and affirming basically universalist church in West Texas, that was probably a bad idea. I didn't do much market research. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a, there's, there were people who were like, I don't know, man. I just, I just don't know. I feel like a, like you're being too nice and lovey-dovey. I'm like, yeah, go figure. Jesus loves people. But I did have this, what caused me, well, one of the major reasons I left the church I was at to plant the church that I did was a conversation with one of my, uh, one of my friends who had recently come out and married her wife and, or was, I'm sorry, engaged and were looking to get married. And so my friend is not religious at all. Her soon-to-be wife is. And so they came to me and they were very earnestly looking for you know, some information like, hey, could we, like, would we be welcome at your church? And I said, of course. And, but then I immediately had to caveat that with, but 
you know, it's it, the church's stance is 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 technically allied against you. Um, you'll never hear a message from the pulpit. My pastor's a nice guy. He's never going to stand and preach, you know, hellfire and brimstone or anybody, let alone uh, gay folks. But that's where that support's going to end. It's going to be the loosest, in the loosest way, tolerant. I couldn't honestly tell her if they came with their family and sat with their kids and they, and they were obviously a family that they would be welcome with hope. So they, they never came. And that was one of those things that, that, you know, looking back now, I can go, man, that started this sort of simmer in me of like the injustice of that. Like mm-hmm. how, how, how unfair is that, that we've closed off these spaces? And yep. so I, I, what you said resonated with me. There, are, there is obviously a spectrum amongst queer folks. It's like there is amongst everybody. There, there will be those who have no interest whatsoever in what the church is doing. And, and, that's, and that's totally fine. And I get that. That's legitimate. But to sort of paint everyone with that same broad brush and wonder aloud, well, why would you want to? Well, well, because I think we should all have access to sacred spaces mm-hmm. and we should all have access to these sort of things that, that the rest of us take for granted. So um, again, I don't know what this looks like with the Pope going forward. I hope it's a good step. But The, the hard thing about the whole welcoming but not affirming thing is it's just continually re-traumatizing people because they go, the queer people go in the door thinking that they're safe only to find out that they're really not. So it puts them back where they were to begin with. And like, it's just a cycle that just makes it worse and worse for them. And isn't that in some ways worse? I mean, would, to me, that seemed more insidious, actually. Yeah. Because I want, the, I want to be able to pat myself on the back and, and feel good about myself for how inclusive and tolerant I am. All the, more, all the while, I'm actually re-traumatizing people, mm-hmm. luring them into a place where they feel safe, where they're really not safe. At least be maybe I have more respect for those who are at least honest, right? And you and 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 everyone who's making decisions can go. Nope, unsafe place. Don't go there. Yeah, because it's dehumanizing. Yeah, versus oh, I might be okay here, and yeah, and then have the rug yanked out from underneath you. So, yep, a weird place where I actually sometimes am more respectful of openly homophobic people because <laughs> at least at least they wear their you know their ideas on their sleeve, and you know where to stay the hell away from. So. Yeah, no, that's why I, I, I appreciate that. websites like Church Clarity because they'll give a rating that says, yes, you are safe here or no, you are not. Or we're not sure. It's not clear. You're like, yeah. speak with caution, you know, because mm-hmm. they, they'll go in and evaluate the church and give it a clear rating so you can see. So I appreciate that. Well, I think what it does too is it, it, it makes these churches that have always been on the bubble, they, they're going to have to make a decision. Like if they, if they're, if they are going to say they're affirming, they just have to put that into their, into their statement. Yep. Make it right. Uh, so you office. can go to the website and say, okay, well, where are you on this? And they can say, we are fully affirming mm-hmm. or we're fully not affirming. Mm-hmm. And it, um, so yeah, church clarity is one of those places I would go to uh, yeah. as if, if, you know, if I was in a place where I'm looking for a church and, you know, as an ally, I want, I want to make sure that I, 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 I put my energy into a church that's going to be, a, be, affirming of my friends, right? And it, and I'm not going to waste my time with a church that either is sitting on the fence and not willing to say one way or the other, or obviously if they just absolutely are not affirming. And like Nat said, I think the ones that sit on the fence are, in a lot of ways are, are a lot worse. Well, and that's why I appreciate church clarity because they're not saying you need to change and be affirming. They're right. saying you need to be transparent about where you stand. 
and, and you know, and we we've seen right, we've seen the 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 Greg Locks and the and all the people on on TikTok and all that who are. It's very obvious that they are not affirming, and it's very easy to go, okay, I have I don't want anything to do with them, other than to make fun of them. <laughs> they are good fodder for that. <laughs> but the but the sad scenario for most people within the LGBTQIA plus community is that they, especially if they're going into a new community, is they have to sit if they're looking for a church. Uh, they have to wonder, right? You know, am I, am, do I, and that's where church clarity, I think really absolutely plays a huge role. Uh, you know, obviously in bigger cities, it's, it's more, it's more helpful in a city like where I, you know, I'm adjacent to, mm-hmm. I think we have one affirming church that is actually affirming on their website. Mm-hmm. There's another that says they are, but it's not on their website. So mm-hmm. all that to be, all that to be said, I mean, as you were going through the purity culture, Right, which Nat, Nat and I both said we're post purity culture. We had the whole, you know, we had the the youth group meetings where the girls were separated from the boys, right? And I think I I can't say for sure what the girls were being taught, but the, on the boy side, it was you know boys will be boys, but you try you need to try to be nice. You know what the girls were taught? Don't dress provocatively and tempt a bunch of men mm-hmm. who are just children at heart and who are visually stimulated mm-hmm. and who have no self-control. Yep. It's on you, by the way. Yep. It's kind of your fault, yep. right? There was a lot of, I mean, that's, uh, the, the shame on, the shame is on both sides. You know, and I've, you know, having grown up, because like John said, we didn't have the language around purity culture. We didn't call it that. But the same, the message was still the same. But there still was an inordinate amount of responsibility, I felt placed on the women. Yes, absolutely. To maintain their purity. Because that was like, you know, I was like, I'm watching some TV show and there's like this parent teaching their child and I'm, I'm so, oh my God, I'm so triggered by it. But it's like, you know, your virginity is a gift mm-hmm. that you get to give to your husband one time. Mm-hmm. And if you give that gift away, you've robbed your future husband of like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, we have and elevated. The shame that that heaps on. I mean, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like when that happened, because... Then when that happened to me, I just felt like, well, nobody's ever going to want me again. Like I just like trash, you know, like damaged goods, right? Yes, and the shame and the weight of that was so detrimental to me. Well, and and we're saying this to people who are not mature enough to even fully process what any of that means. So we're, I mean, we're 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 giving this message to girls who are sometimes prepubescent, mm-hmm. and. Holy shit! That's just a that's just a a humongous weight to put on people. It's a huge amount over of something that is such an integral part of the human existence. Well, it, it creates it creates a scenario where, and on both sides, mostly I'm gonna you know I will I'm gonna agree that mostly on the women's side, but you know as a man, specifically a person who had severe anxiety, and this just doubled doubled down on my anxiety that I could potentially create a situation where a woman was no longer worthy if I was to do something inappropriate. But you have body shaming, you have intimacy issues. But again, the boys will be boys part was this underlining tone that if and when we ever got married, we were supposed to know what to do because we were the man. (laughs) Well, how the fuck were we supposed to know what to do unless we were promiscuous? It's almost this underlying tone that guys will be boys will be boys and they are going to find those girls that will teach them how to be. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Right. I mean, no, you're not. Yeah, you're not wrong. And not only that, you have people that are then rushing into a marriage that they shouldn't be in just so they can have sex. Right. Or you've got people that get into a healthy marriage 
and their sex life is a mess because they don't, <laughs> like, they can't turn the shame off. Right. It's like a switch, like everybody promised them it would. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh my gosh, you're not wrong. So I, I was, you know, you know, full disclosure here, when, by the time I was no longer a virgin, I wasn't in the church, but do you think the shame didn't stick with me? Mm-mm. That I had sex outside of marriage? Do you think that I did? I still didn't? you think I didn't hide that from my parents? Well, hold up, John. Wait a minute. What? You did what now? <laughs> so it, that's how damaging the church can be, right? I was, I had left the church. I had decided the church was not a place for me. And I still hid that from my parents. I still felt shame that I had potentially damaged a woman, you know, in case we don't stay together, right? Which we didn't. You know, now I have done some harm to her that she is no longer worthy to the next guy who, who's going to want to be with her. How fucked up is that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, very, very fucked well, up. And then on top of that, you know, and you write in your book, I don't want to give away too much because I want people to write, read your book. I want people to buy your buy book. The book. But Go buy the book. You are in a same-sex relationship, which I can't even imagine how much more that made you feel like you had let your parents down, you let the church down, you let God down. Oh my gosh, shame. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I know looking back at my shame, which was like dark and hard to pass through, right? I can't imagine having that on top of it. And you add that on top of it. Yeah, it was suffocating. Like it just about did me in. I The, the amount, when you couple the two together, um, the weight of that shame is just crippling. And that definitely caused my mental health to spiral, for sure. Um, because that, that shame is very effective. It, it, yeah, and, and, and it's insidious, right? Because yeah, it, I, think it, I, think it, I think for a lot of us, it comes in in sneaky ways. You know, it's just speaking for ourselves, John and I, we didn't, our parents weren't overtly terrible. You know what I mean? They, they, Actually, my, we, we, we rarely talked about these topics, you know, and when they did, when we did, it was sort of in passing and obviously very, very fucking awkward. Um, so it was like, you know, it's like, don't I think I've had maybe, it. don't do it. Maybe I, I might have had two conversations with my dad about anything in my entire life. And one of them happened the day I got married and it was kind of like, so you, uh, <laughs> like, you know what to do, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm good at that. I'm fine. He's like, okay, congratulations. I was, I was but I, I was one of those, you know, at the risk of my wife hearing this and thinking this means anything more than it does because I'm happily married for 30 plus years and wouldn't change a damn thing. But we rushed into marriage for that reason because we'd, mm-hmm. bought, we'd bought into this entirely. Yeah. And we were, you know, quote unquote, saving ourselves for marriage. I got married, I was 19 goddamn years old. Yeah. What the hell did I know about anything? Mm-hmm. It's, it's miraculous that we're still together and like each other. Yeah. Um, there was zero chance that really should have happened. And most of my friends who got married about the same age that we all did, a lot of them aren't. I mean, they, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's not as though, you know, just because their marriages didn't survive the, oh my God, tragedy, but their, their lives were actually pretty traumatic. I mean, a lot of, because, because in, in the churches we were raised, this comes into play as, as well, right? Divorce is just as shameful as anything else. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that is a major failure, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm at the place now in my life where I'm like, I don't even know why people, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder why people get married at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> starting to wonder. But, but talk about that, if you will. I mean, you said that when you came out, you lost everything. And, and I assume that means to some degree your family. You mentioned, I, caught, I thought I caught a bit of 
like about your parents, like as far as you know, like you maybe don't have contact with them anymore. Is that true? Yeah, I haven't had contact with my parents in almost a decade. Really? And is it is it 100% just because of this and you're yep. different? Yep. Really? 100%. Yeah. So, so when you came out, it was pretty much peace out? Um, close. Yeah. Um, initially, I mean, it, it was awful. Um, and it just got more awful over time. I mean, it, they compared me to murderers and pedophiles and said, we feel like you've died. How dare you do this to our family? You're so selfish. If you're suicidal, it's your own fault. That's the consequence of sin. And they asked for the keys to their house back. So it was like, it was hardcore awful from the beginning. And then we had this period of just like super awkward contact because they didn't want to hear about anything in my life. And I was like going through all this crisis and like, it just was, it was just awful. So it just kind of went from bad to worse. Um, and then in October of 2014, they just cut it off completely. And we haven't spoken since. Man, so first, I'm so sorry. That's, it's been uh, it's been a long haul, but it's not just my parents. It was my younger brother. It was my aunts and uncles, my cousins, my grandparents. Like everybody just ghosted me and disappeared. And some had some really you know awful things to say before they did, and um, some people just kind of silently went away. And so it was it was my whole world because I lost my family. I lost the church I was a part of for 14 years. I moved away from my hometown and I like started everything over. And so it really was on one hand, like I felt like I came alive that day because I was finally being authentic to myself. And on the other hand, like I was losing everything I'd ever known. And so it was this really hard, um, you know, paradox to work through. And thankfully I had found an affirming faith community to be a part of in Denver. And that I think was a large part of what saved my life because it really rallied around me and, and showed up during that season. Yeah, it's just it's it's such a such a foreign concept to me that anyone could ever treat their children that way. Well, you that's know, why I we just, have these stories, right? So that people know it's not just a theology, it's not just things that you read about on the news. Like these are real stories of real people, real families that are being torn apart because of toxic theology. Yeah. But what was what's interesting is you mentioned being compared to like murderers and pedophiles and whatever else. I find that even in the so-called tolerant crowd, that that's the that's what that's that's what gets me is they'll be like, so they're tolerant because well, all you know, like, like you're no worse than any other sinner, right? Right. So yeah. so they're on the one and you know it's that that backhanded like well okay fine you're so. I, why would I judge you more harshly then? And they'll right. list off a list of people right. who are dirty, rotten sinners, and you know we love them as if loving someone is the same as murder. Yeah, yeah. So why 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 wouldn't we let you in our church? There's probably people in our church who have done all kinds of awful right. things too, right? And I'm like, you don't see the the equivalency you're doing here is first of all invalid, a hundred percent. It's uh, it's hardly dehumanizing. Yeah, and I have less. I just have less and less patience for that anymore, you know, in fact, I'm down to like zero patience with that. Yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of us who, uh, you know, I don't use the word ally very, very often because I don't, I don't, I don't want to give myself that term, right? I think that's something you need to earn and someone can either say you are or aren't. But I think we've all gone through those people who are trying to be allies have gone through those phases, right? Well, you use the comparison. Well, you let drunkards into your church you let people who have had affairs into your church 
you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's where I, that was my stance for a long time. And then I was like, no, (laughs) that's not, that's not accurate because, you know, those are harmful to you and the people around you. Being gay is not harmful. That is acknowledging who you are. So I went, I had to go from, you know, using this comparative sin idea, right? To no, being gay is not a sin. It just isn't. And anyone who says it is, is, is flat out wrong. And the Bible verses you use to prove that it is, you don't even understand them. They don't, they don't mean it's the whole like uh, princess bride. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was a progress for me to go from like, Hey, I can be, I can understand that we should acknowledge that these people are loved to the point where no, there is no sin here to the point where I don't give a fuck if, what you think, because I'm not even sure that God exists anymore. Why do I even care about sin one way or the other? One, one message I'm trying to get across to my Christian friends is this. You, I, I could do the apologetic thing and I can go through the Bible and I can show you how I don't really think the Bible says the things that you think it says about human sexuality. I'm over that because really now I don't even care because why am I looking to an ancient text to tell me about human sexuality when they thought the world was flat? Right. I mean, there are things you just didn't know. Yeah. And that's okay. So if you view the Bible as an ancient text written from the perspective of people who were making, doing the best they could with the information they had at hand, it's not a textbook. It's not a science book. I think we can, I think we can all acknowledge there are things that the Bible speaks on authoritatively and things that maybe it, 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 you don't have to give it that weight mm-hmm. and say, okay, just because you found a clobber verse in Leviticus that, that says that this, this is, is, an, is, is an abomination does not mean you have to go, oh, well, the Bible says it, therefore, yeah, the Bible says all kinds of crazy shit you don't do, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not marrying my brother's widow. It's not happening. You know, there's all kinds of things. You know, I'm not taking multiple wives just because it says in our survival that I can. Why would you want to? I don't even, but you know what I'm saying? So I mean, I, I think there's an evolution that can happen where you can say, okay, fine, I still want to be, you know, I still acknowledge some value in the biblical texts, but I think I can be more selective about which ones I feel are applicable and which ones I think are prescriptive versus descriptive. Well, and, and then the bottom line is the person that the Christians say they follow, this, this person named Jesus, never once, zero times, does he, does he say anything about any kind of same-sex relationship. Yeah. Period. Zero yep. times. That's the person you say you follow, mm-hmm. but you go back to the Old Testament, which Jesus himself says he's came, he's come to to abolish or fulfill or whatever you want to call it. But the Old Testament and the Old Covenant no longer holds because there is a new covenant. And Jesus has every opportunity to talk about this and chooses not to. I think that speaks volumes. But they'll, they'll go back, like Nat said, they'll go back to Leviticus. They'll go back to these verses that Jesus basically says, I've come to abolish these, the law and they don't, they don't exist anymore. At the end of the day, there's really not that much biblical no. support to be anti-gay. There's what, six verses? If they yeah, want, and, 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 that, and that's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm being generous. I, I only ever get into these conversations with people anymore with, and I don't, I rarely do anymore because I'm one of the people who care about the Bible that much, generally don't want to be convinced. Mm-hmm. So we're just, 
we're just going to end up arguing. Well, the reason I, the reason I bring it up though is how many times has Jesus the word love come up? Well, I mean it's I mean it's yeah it's all over the New Testament that we're that we're called to love people, even our enemies. So if you must consider people who are same sex attracted or whatever as your enemies, you're still supposed to love them. So let's do that. But regardless, I think we can I think we can get to a place where we can at least call out the people and the things that are, are being harmful, right? And I think that's the bottom line is we're, we're not concerned about, I'm not concerned about convincing a bunch of evangelicals to suddenly become allies and supportive. Um, we could at least start with stop, stop doing harm normal. to people. Yeah, maybe take a sort of a Hippocratic oath towards <laughs> like that sort of approach like, hey, first do no harm, right, John? Well, and I, I think, you know, what you're doing by you know, being, being a light and a beacon for people who need somebody that they can trust, right? Within your organization with what you're doing. And that's, I think that's the, that's the, that's the biggest thing we can do, right? I walk into my, my establishment, my work every day with a rainbow bracelet on, with a rainbow pin that says, you are safe with me. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I don't preach it. I don't say it. I don't do anything. It's just, it's just acknowledge that that, that is where I'm at. And the more we can do that, allow them a safe space to be who they are. You know, I have, I work with people who are bisexual, who are gay, who are in polyamorous relationships, and they know they can come and talk to me when they're having a stressful day. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be that safe space. You know, it, it's saddening that we have to be so overt about it. It should just it's just it should just be part of our of our being that we are safe to our fellow human beings. But you know, we have to set these 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 safe spaces for our friends, our family, the people that we love. And I think I think that's vital. Well, and it's such a simple act of kindness, but it goes so far. Right. Only, I mean, the Trevor Project has found that it only takes one affirming adult in a youth's life to help reduce this this suicide statistics by like 40%, one accepting adult. So it's such a simple thing to just say that you're safe with me and I care about you, but it could save somebody's life. I, I, was, a, I was a youth pastor for a short period of time and uh, I had at least three, uh, yeah, three or four youth come out to me. And the only thing I've ever done in my evangelical time that I'm like uber proud of is... I think I responded well. <laughs> I said, oh, awesome. Well, we, I love you. That changes nothing about how I feel about you. You're safe here. You're accepted here. If you ever want to talk about it, let's talk about it. Well, and that makes yeah. such a difference to them. I, I hope so. And, I, and, I've, and, I've, and I've run into them some a couple, couple of them years later who, who have told me, they're like, okay, that was huge. Like that was a big deal that, they, I, that, that, I, that there was just that level of acceptance that they were not maybe getting at home or... I'm thankful for that because my evangelical training was not that. It was not to say, oh, well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> it was to be like, we probably need to get you into the pastor right away. Yeah. Um, I've heard of some really good conversion therapies. We should probably oh, talk geez. about you know, some options. Yeah, exactly. um, warning. But one of the things that you said early on that I, I wanted to kind of explore further too was as you're, as you're wrestling with your, your identity and you're steeped in this sort of hardcore evangelical um, culture, you didn't have language around what you were feeling. How 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 can we help transform that? Because I think that's that's huge to not even be able to express 
what's happening because you don't even have the vocabulary. Yeah. To put in, like, you're just sort of stuck there, right? Well, I think it, a lot of it comes from just normalizing queer relationships. Um, you know, something as simple as, you know, having a picture of some of your queer friends on the fridge so that when people come over, they see it and you can talk about it and just create safe space or having that represented, you know, especially if you're part of a church or a faith community, having that modeled and represented in your staff and who volunteers and who participate, you know, like normalizing those relationships um, and using inclusive language for God and doing those kind of things um, can help so much in, in, in not just reducing the harm, but also just being inclusive and making them feel like they belong as well. Well, and then how much of your, say, childhood and your early adulthood was spent, because it's the other part that kind of, kind of spoke to me a little bit, like having to be on guard constantly. Oh, all of it. Like, how is that, how, how does that affect someone's mental health to have to constantly have your radar up to be aware of, of what's around you to make sure that you're safe? Because you're not safe everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. And even, I mean, yes, I did that in the evangelical realm, but as a queer person, you still do that in the world at large. Um, and it, you're always wondering, am I safe to come out to this person? Is this a safe place for me? Oh, you know, is this doctor going to understand who I am? Is this therapist going to understand who I am? Are they going to support me? You know, like, and you're always having to do that kind of filtering and masking and, you know, censoring to know where you're safe and where you're not. So it's not just in the, yes, in the evangelical, it was constant all the time, 24 um, seven. But as a queer person, you, you carry that around with you in the world at large. And um, it's exhausting. I didn't even realize that like this kind of situation. So, you know, I wear, I wear this, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but I wear this re- rainbow band. It's just part of who I am, right? It's just what I wear. I wear it every day. So I don't even think about it anymore. It's just there. And uh, where I work, we were getting a transfer from another uh, building to us. And uh, I wasn't, I was just asking him why he, why he moved here. He was just out of the military. And he said, I see your band. I thought he meant my wedding band. That's literally what I thought he meant. I was like, okay. He goes, so I've moved here to be with my husband. And then I clicked. I was like, oh, he's not talking about my wedding band. He's talking about this band. So he knows instantly because I have this on that he can tell me that. And it was one of those moments. It's like, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as giving them the acknowledgement that there is a space where they can say, okay, I'm moving here because this is where my husband, you know, as a man, this is where my husband's family lives and we're moving to be close to them. You know, I gave him you know, subconsciously, I guess, the, the, the permission to say that to me. And I, I didn't even realize... Well, and it can just be so disarming and so helpful, you know, right. create that safe space. And it's like, and I didn't even know how to respond because I, I, I didn't know that just by wearing this, that I was creating this safe space that he could say, oh, I'm here, I'm here to move. I'm moving here with, to be near my husband's family. And, you know, it's like instantly like tears come to your eyes, right? You're like, okay, I, 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 this is amazing that he's, he feels we've never met. We don't know each other. We literally met like five minutes before that. And he feels like he can tell me that. Yeah. And it's that's what I think. acts of kindness. Right. And I think that's what, you know, and I, as a, as a parent of three children, I can't imagine ever telling my parent, my kids, regardless of what they're doing, that I don't, that I, that I don't want them in my life. Yeah. Period. I don't understand that. Yeah. I never will understand that. 
so that part of your of your life, I you know, I just don't under I don't understand how how your parents could do that. And again, it, it brings tears to my eyes even thinking about that. Well, I think the simple, like you said, the simple acts of kindness can do so much to reduce the harm and create even small pockets of inclusion that make people feel safe to be who they are. Yeah. Well, and we'll wrap this up because I know you have another meeting to get to and we want to be respectful of your time, even though I could still talk to you for like another hour because this is amazing. Absolutely, I always get like this. I get into the middle of a conversation like, man, this person's amazing. We could talk all the time. But I want to make sure we don't forget to mention the title of the book, Out of Focus, My Story of Sexuality, Shame, and Toxic Evangelicalism. I'm sure available wherever fine books are sold. Um, If you must patronize the Amazon, that's fine, I guess. But local bookstores are always your better bet if you can find it. Absolutely. Did you... uh, did you have anything? We'll, we'll link to obviously to all of your socials and stuff like that in the show notes as well. But um, I'll just give you an opportunity to give us any parting parting thoughts as we say goodbye. No, I think, um, I mean, if you throw my website up there, people can find me there. And I, you know, I lead a number of things. I lead an inclusive community online that gives people a safe space to come and deconstruct and process and be who they are. And so um, that's a part of what I do. And I, I offer one-on-one coaching for people that are coming out of those spaces and needing some support. And so they can find all that on my website. I'd love to have them, you know, check it out and uh, come join me over there. And um, I think just in in closing, it's, I hope people can kind of just sink into that, like loving who they are, even when it comes at a cost, it's still so worth worth it to to be authentically you and to live that way and move that way through the world. And um, you're not alone in that. And so um, just continually fighting to, to be who you are and love who you are. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. That is one of those things that, again, a lot of us take for granted the ability to do that. And, and that's something... I think it's a place where we can grow as as human beings and as Christians. If if we still identify that way, it's like okay, like the one thing you said more than once was simple acts of kindness. If we could just do like one or two simple acts, yeah. of, even if it does seem like John's, you know, John's rainbow band or something that isn't really that big a deal, but that does sort mm-hmm. of speak volumes to, mm-hmm. to people uh, that we're kind and that we are uh, yeah. we. we we strive to be loving. So anyway, if you have made it this far, and I hope that you have, uh, go out and buy the book. If you haven't, shame on you. No, there's no shame here. No shame. We're, we're, we're so glad <laughs> no that you shame, came no by. Shame. Thank you for, for giving your time. I appreciate uh, everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.